continue in our walk through the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 6 today. We're talking about something very useful today, very, very helpful today. We're going to learn how to become a Pharisee. In just four easy steps, you too can become a Pharisee today. If you don't know, if you're not laughing hysterically along with everybody else this morning, okay, so the Pharisees were these religious leaders who, uh, you know, they were so proud of themselves for being so good and they didn't see a problem with that, okay? They followed closely to the rules, but they were far from God. They did not love God. They just loved the law, okay? So read with me in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, Jesus' disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, kind of rubbing them in their hands, and then kind of having a little snack there. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing this, what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Which first begs the question, how in the world would they even know? A grain field would have been out in the rural area, so did did the Pharisees like send interns to follow Jesus' disciples around all the time? Okay, you might be a Pharisee if you're inspecting grain. Okay, so they asked that question. Verse 3, and Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. I'll explain all that. And Jesus said to him, The Son of Man, I am Lord of the Sabbath. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It says there in verses 1 and 2 that Jesus and his disciples were kind of walking through the grain fields and having a little snack on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees kind of freak out, right? And so these religious guys, they were doing everything they could to discredit Jesus and his ministry. So, and what they catch Jesus and his guys doing was not against anything in the Bible. Okay, they were good there. They have these written rules against plucking and eating grain on a Sabbath, but but Jesus is like, even David did this. What are you so upset about? And so they think that they're making an argument based on the Scriptures, but they're pretty far off with what their Scriptures actually say. At the time, they had God's law, right? What we call the Old Testament now. And, you know, they had all kinds of things to do and not to do from the Old Testament. So these Pharisees think that Jesus was breaking the law, and Jesus' reply was really simple. Yeah, I have not done any such thing. Jesus then even gives an example of David, which David's authority would have been huge in the eyes of the Pharisees. And so what Jesus is referencing in 1 Samuel chapter 21, you can read it later, David is not king yet, and him and his guys, they were on the run. And they get hungry, and so they go, and uh, they go into the temple, the only kind of safe place as they were running. And with the, with the priest's blessing, they ate the bread of the presence. There's, there's more context to it. But, and then they're not anywhere in the Bible for doing this. And so the Pharisees are shocked that Jesus brings up first, that they knew the story, and they had not even considered how that story interacted with what they're accusing Jesus of right here. And so your first step in in becoming a Pharisee is hold your opinions, hold your traditions more tightly than the Bible. That's what the Pharisees do. Their question in verse 2 is loaded with wrong assumptions about God's Word. They give an entire, and you think about it, these guys, they give an entire day of the week, every week, a seventh of their lives to the Sabbath, and the foundation of their theology of the Sabbath is off. So uh, our first house, we bought a a foreclosure in Frisco, and we were so proud of that little shack. Man, I mean, it it was a dump at first. We made it into our own, but we were so proud of it. And a few months in, we began to notice that the foundation was off. I don't know if you ever had that. So how do you know that the foundation's off? Well, you, you don't see the foundation. You, you see the cracks on the walls. The roof kind of the roof starts to get starts to get messed up. And so what we see here, the foundation of their theology 
was off, and so now we see cracks all along the way. They don't even see that, you know, they don't base everything on the Word of God, but, but rather on what they think the Word of God might say. And you're in dangerous territory when you're there. So then, because of that, they misunderstand the theology of the Sabbath. And this is why we study the Bible so diligently here at Redemption City. And, and the sermons and the songs that we sing when we meet in city groups, in our kids' ministry, in our student ministry, everything that we do, we try to understand what God's Word says. My preaching professor, uh, Dr. McKellar, one of my favorite guys on the whole world, he still teaches today. He used to teach us to carve closely to the text. Stay with the text, because if I just teach what I think, that's not going to help very much. And all God's people said, okay. Uh, if I teach you what I, hope the Bi- what I hope the Bible says, we're no better than the Pharisees. And so we come in here and we dig into what God says and we try to interpret what it meant at that time and means for us so that we can base our lives on the Word of God. So the Pharisees here, they try to trap Jesus, okay, which is not ever a good plan. And they don't ever see, they don't even see that Jesus is greater than their law. He doesn't have to submit to their rules. He's Lord. That's why he says in verse 5, you think David had authority? You're looking at the Son of Man. Jesus has the authority. He's the Son of Man, God incarnate, okay? He's the very uh, Son of God. So Jesus tells him in verse 5 that he is Lord of the Sabbath, that all of this right here is under his jurisdiction, okay? So when the Sabbath was first given, right? Uh, God's people, the Israelites, they worked 24-7, 365. We're all the way back in Exodus here, okay? They were enslaved in Egypt, doing back-breaking work. Uh, Exodus 1 says that the taskmasters were set over them, okay? So they didn't get weekends off. They didn't get a spring break. None of that. They just worked all the time. And then God rescued them out, and he goes, hey, you have to take a day off. Pretty good deal, right? And they had all kinds of struggles with it. And so God gave the Sabbath to refresh their souls and their bodies. Let's keep looking at chapter 6 of Luke and verses 6 to 11. On another Sabbath, okay, Jesus entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether Jesus would heal on the Sabbath so they could learn something. No. So they might find a reason to accuse Jesus, but Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand right here. And the man rose and stood there. And Jesus said to him, I, he, he said to all the Pharisees, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at all, at all of them, he said to him, to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they, the Pharisees, were so mad that this guy was healed. And they discussed with one another what they might do with Jesus. Okay, this cracks me up. So now we see step two in becoming a Pharisee. You really focus on being right. You're really concerned with being correct. Look again at verse seven. They were watching Jesus not to learn something, but to find something to accuse him of. You might be a Pharisee if you're watching somebody else so that they'll fall. Okay. It's amazing. They had a love for the law, but not a love for people. And it seems almost, how can you follow our God and not prioritize people and loving people and serving people and healing people? They were so focused on being right that they were so, so wrong. So, you know, these Pharisees, they would have their little meetings, their little Pharisee meetings, you know, and they would get in their echo chamber and they would be more and more convinced of how right they were. They would get further and further away from love and further, further into the law. And so we got to be aware of this tendency. We are religious people. 
I know you're in a YMCA and it's a church plant and all that, but we are, I mean, you're a religious person at this very moment. And so we can't just get in our, get in our little echo chambers, especially today when we can curate our news feeds and, our, and everything like that. We surround ourselves with people who are like us to the point to where no one around me or you or whatever might have a differing view. And so, that's, so now we come into view of step three of being a Pharisee. Be more concerned with rules than love. This is kind of the hallmark thing. So focused on rules and not really focused on love. Here is a man with a withered hand that really needs help. Okay, uh, This man has a withered hand. He wants to work, but he can't. He's in pain all the time, right? And Jesus has the power and the heart to heal him. And before Jesus heals the man, he rhetorically asks the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or harm, to save a life or destroy it? So he's basically saying, guys, what's the problem here? What in your understanding of the Sabbath would prohibit me from healing this guy and helping him out? Healing is objectively good. Their rules have become more important than life itself. A pastor friend of mine, his church, uh, they were having a hard time reaching high schoolers. And they really wanted to. They were doing the things that, that, you know, different things. They were serving. They were giving Gatorades at high school football practice, and they were serving the teachers like we do, all those kinds of things, but no traction yet. And so they were like, you know, we, we really want to help high schoolers know Jesus. And so the pastor goes, I'm going to pray. Every day I'm going to pray. And he met along the way as they were serving high schoolers. He met these two high school senior boys who were natural leaders. Everybody kind of knew who they were. So he goes, I'm going to pray for those two boys every day. And that God, just kind of like we saw with Matthew last week, I'm going to pray God would save them. And then through their influence and their leadership, God would save a lot of high schoolers and bring them into the church. So we begin to pray every day, every day, every day. God, save these two boys, save these boys. Months go by, I'm praying every day, and one Sunday during service, he looks back, and he sees the two boys on the back row. He's like, let's go. Everybody's like, that's awesome. That's what I'm praying for. God, thank you so much. And then after the songs, he goes up to preaching, looks back, and he sees the deacon go over to the boys and say, take your hats off. This is God's house. And it breaks my and as you can imagine, they never came back. We make all these rules, right? We elevate our opinions and traditions to the highest level. But if we're following Jesus, the priority is love. As you continue to follow Jesus, I mean, listen, we're going to, like I said, we're going to follow the scriptures as closely as we can. And not but, and we're going to love the heck out of people all around us. Okay, because that's what Jesus did. I think we might be surprised at how easily we slide in the direction of the Pharisee, you know. So as a church, as a city group, as a follower of Jesus, the priority is love. Now let's look at step four in becoming a Pharisee. Focus on what you do instead of what Jesus has done. It's about my work, my effort, instead of Jesus' work on the cross and his effort in rising again to conquer my sin. These guys are all wound up. Can't you just picture a Pharisee? with the scowl always on his face. But they don't even know if they would just follow Jesus, they could be happy and free. You know, they don't have to be angry and religious all the time. I want to use the rest of our time to kind of help us learn how to walk away from the path of the Pharisee. So how can we focus on what Jesus has done and not what I do? How do we release this idea that my effort can gain God's affection and release that and step into the way of Jesus, which is he's done it, and now I walk in him. So how can we become more like Jesus and less like the Pharisees? Look again at verse 5. Jesus says that he is Lord of the Sabbath. That's a big statement in the Scriptures, okay? In Mark's recounting of the story, you know, the first four books of, especially the first three books of the New Testament, 
You know, it's all the same account from different viewpoints. And so in Mark's recounting of this same story, he expands on this quote. And, he, and Jesus also said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, the Pharisees served the law, but the, the law was meant to serve them. Right? The, the law of the Sabbath was meant to protect them and us from overwork, from hoping in our work, it was to protect them from a routine that regularly forgets God and forgets that you're God's people. Okay, so God's people had turned the Sabbath into work. It was a gift from God, right? given to his people, and they took that gift to not work on the seventh day, and they went, okay, but what is work? And so some rabbis like, okay, well, cooking is really hard. So let's say that cooking is it's off the table. You cannot cook on the Sabbath. That way they won't sin. Now the other rabbis are like, yeah, let's do it, you know? And so that's how it kind of worked. And so, but that wasn't the intent for God's command to rest on the seventh day because for some folks, you know, the most relaxing thing you can do is cook a nice on the Sabbath day. It's like so nice and you, it refreshes you in God, right? So to the point now, uh, if you go to Israel, it's against Sabbath law to press an elevator button. The, all of their laws have become, become quite a bit of work. So there's quite a bit of disagreement among Christians today about how we should look at and practice the Sabbath, right? Should, should we practice it in the same way that they did? Three, God's people did 3,000 years ago before Christ came and was resurrected? Are we, are we being asked to take a seventh of our days to rest from work and rest in Christ, right? Jesus says that he is our rest. So don't we kind of Sabbath all the time? Just casting our cares on him, like the Bible says. About 10 years ago, I tweeted... One of the reasons I tweet a lot less now, but I tweeted, uh, our rest is not a practice, but a person. 20-something Matt was like, I know this is so true. Our rest is not a practice, it's a person. But man, I disagree, much, much wiser and learned now. I disagree with ten, Matt 10 years ago, okay? Uh, yes, our rest is a person. Jesus is our rest every day, but we practice the way of Jesus, okay? Our rest in him needs shape. It needs a form. We need spiritual formation. So I practice a weekly Sabbath. Uh, and mine's going to look differently than yours. I'll describe it because like I'm at work right now, you know, like Sunday's kind of my big day at work. So I can't really Sabbath on Sundays. So we need a Sabbath, which is, a, I want you to think about it in terms of rest from work and rest in Christ. I want you to frame it like that in your mind. You know, when I was a little kid, most stuff was like closed on Sundays, right? And I grew up in Mississippi. So if you grew up in the city, you probably didn't have this experience. Okay. Growing up in Mississippi, had a lot of different experiences, but like most stores were closed, very few restaurants were closed. If you ever watch Andy Griffith, like when, whenever the, the episode's on a Sunday, like if their car breaks down on Sunday, they have nowhere to go because everything's closed. Like America actually used to have Sundays off. Then you fast forward to today, and we're busier on Sundays than any other day of the week. I, I recently heard smartphones described as the human experiment and omnipresence. We're kind of always on, always working, always accessible, but we have limits. That's one of the key things that God has taught me by practicing the Sabbath, that I have limits. And listen, I like to work. I do. I, I like what I do. I'm type A. Rome was not built in a day because they didn't invite me, okay? I like to get after it and work hard. I like that, but we need margin. In fact, I just finished a book by that title, Margin. It's by a physician, a doctor, Richard Swenson. It's a Secular book, but I highly recommend it. He says that Americans' lives are in chronic overload, and the prescription is margin. He says that modern, light, modern life is built to devour margin. Like, yeah, that's right. 
So he has 20 categories. I'm not going to read all of them for you, but 20 categories of overload, activity overload. We just have too much going on. Change overload. Things are changing all the time. Technology and politics, all of the change, and it just overloads us. Choice overload. Your life is like a cheesecake factory menu. Man, like there's a thousand choices where you, where you want to eat, what you want to do, who you follow. And it's like, ah, I have all these choices. In fact, now you probably noticed Netflix has a choose something for me option because people kept reporting when they opened Netflix that they were anxious with so many options, right? Debt overload, expectation overload, information overload. You probably have heard the statistic that um, there's more information in the daily edition of the New York Times than the average person in the 17th century consumed in their lifetime. Overload, overload, overload. His point in the whole book is that we have no margin in our lives, and that's what lead, is leading us to burnout. Kids in the room. Back in the 1900s, okay, <laughs> whenever we had to stand in line for something, we just kind of stood there. That's all you could do. You just kind of stand in line, and you have a minute to think or whatever, and you couldn't check on the war in Ukraine and get anxious about that or keep up with the Kardashians and get anxious about that. You, you could just kind of stand there and wait in line. And then we started getting phones, and if you dropped it, the battery would fly out. Okay, it was a wild time. <laughs> it's hard to explain it to you. Now, any margin is devoured. Any free moment is consumed by modern life, but you have limits. Your body, your mind, your soul has limits. And I think regularly practicing a Sabbath is God's gift to us. It's to help us enjoy our lives with Him instead of our lives just being going to work, scarfing down dinner, hurrying the kids off to practice, doom scrolling before bed, and then doing it all again tomorrow. Okay, There's a better way than that. I read this week that for every close relationship you have, that you can cut your margin in half by 50%. So when you get married, you now have 50% of the margin or free time you had beforehand. You have a child, now 25%. So I'm married with three kids, so I have 8.3% of the free time that I had as a single man. Okay? So a Sabbath is not just going to appear in my week. Right? I have to make the time, I have to create the time. So in my 20s, you know, I bought into the lie that if you work seven days a week, that that's really what you're supposed to be doing. And I did it for years, right? And so, you know, being on the grind is celebrated these days. Stay on the grind, keep grinding. But years and months of the grind, you get ground up. That's what happens. It's celebrated. It's, it's taught in the world. Like, that's what, man, okay, I'm about to sneeze. That's what it's taught. I didn't think about it. I should have brought salt. Hindsight. <laughs> years on the grind will grind you up. So the way of the world, it's a fake promise. Yes, work hard. In fact, the Sabbath assumes that you're working six days really hard. The Bible lifts high, working hard. The Bible tells, that's great. Working hard, being tired, those are not bad things, okay? But then to never stop and worship and rest, you'll get ground up. I wish I could go back and tell 22-year-old Matt, you know, consistency is underrated and intensity is overrated. Just stay on the path. And before I describe what the Sabbath might look like for you, I know what a lot of you are thinking. I do not have time for this. There's no way I could ever, I know what you're thinking, okay? But you're exactly who God made the Sabbath for, okay? So he wants you to take a nice long walk on Sunday afternoons instead of running errands. He wants you to come and enjoy worship with your faith family instead of taking that other meeting or completing that assignment, right? He loves you so much that he's telling you 
to rest one day a week. You're, and a lot of us are like, well, if I had more time, I guess I would. Um, so uh, I was watching this documentary on uh, Bill Gates, and in it, it talks about how he is obsessed with efficiency. And his assistant goes, he's obsessed with time because it's the one thing he can't buy. And so all of a sudden, there's 30 hours in your day, or this doctor makes a pill, and you only have to sleep three hours a day. Now you got four or five more hours a day. You're like, okay, then I can Sabbath. No, okay? If, if we had four or five more hours every day, we would end up working more or watching more or consuming more. The issue isn't that we need more time, it's that we need to make more margin. So I recommend that you Sabbath on Sundays, okay? Uh, most of you don't work on Sundays already. If you do, uh, so I, I Sabbath on Fridays. So if you work on Sundays, you can choose another day of the week. <laughs> so as you walk into this practice, okay, listen, I want you to avoid the spirit of the Pharisee that, oh, shoot, I, I, I emailed my boss back. That was a sin. No, 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 no. That's not, that's the spirit of the Pharisee. Oh, I did the wrong thing. God's mad at me. No, that's, that's not the reaction. That, that's, that's not it. Just learn and grow and practice the way of Jesus. So for me, I rarely work on Fridays. I try to totally drop the weight of work on Fridays. But some things are unavoidable. Like this Friday, I have a meeting with a guy that our church needs me to meet with. It's the only time you can meet. I rarely do that, but I do want to confess that to you since I'm teaching on the Sabbath today. This coming Friday. But I'm just going to Sabbath around it. Like that's not a sin, as it were. But God's gift to me is to take a day of the week and, and rest in Him. So again, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for man. So on Fridays, I'll go get my favorite cup of coffee. I'll go for a walk. I won't achieve anything, okay? I'll read a book and even practices within the practice. So the kind of books I read on Friday are not like, so I just started a book called Preaching Killer Sermons. Obviously, it's not taken yet, okay? But it's about, so I'll try to get better in my craft, okay? But that's not what I'm reading on Friday. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to get, become a better preacher on Fridays. So on Fridays, I read stuff like Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Like how, I just want to think about God and worship God and get deeper in my understanding and into my heart about Him. That's the kind of reading I do on Fridays. I pray more. And so, uh, and, and then every Friday night, we have pizza and movie night in my house. Okay, so we get, me and my kids, so, and my wife, of course, we'll get a pizza, a.k.a. we don't have to cook and it's cheap. Okay, and we'll pick a movie. There's usually minions involved. And then we just hang out together. Right? And then we finish the night with making, everybody makes their own ice cream sundae. The kids get to put whatever they want on top. And it's this really fun thing. You know, it's like that. So when I first started practicing a Sabbath, I was really trying to achieve rest. <laughs> okay, like really get out there and rest, you know. Um, so it's taken me about 10 years of practicing the Sabbath to understand what it's really about. And again, that's resting from work and resting in Christ. And there's all kind of caveats that I could add to this, obviously, like, you know, some of you have little babies. Like, Nico could not care less that Amy needs a Sabbath. Okay? He, that's not on his radar. He's not going to go, okay, Mom. I'll, that's, so some, some of us, there are different things, structural things. My, Judah turns five on Friday. So we're coming out of that season, right? So we're able to do other things. So, okay, is there a two-hour window? Is there an afternoon where you can create margin and separate yourself from achieving and working and moving the ball down the field to resting and sitting still with God and enjoying a sunset, enjoying God? God's invitation to you today is to avoid becoming a Pharisee by receiving this gift of a Sabbath. <laughs>